Hey, uh, the passage this morning is James 3.13, so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, I'd appreciate it. If you have a device, uh, you can click on that, and we are going through the, uh, the ESV version, so you can follow along with us there. I'm going to begin in Proverbs chapter 1, so maybe I should have had you uh, start there. So you, you can turn to Proverbs 1 if you want to keep a finger there in, uh, in James but I'm gonna give us a passage. We're talking about wisdom. And this morning we're gonna be talking about one of two kinds of wisdom um, that James is gonna lay out for us. The first week, this week, is the wisdom that comes from below. And then next week we're gonna talk about the wisdom that comes from above. But we've been learning a lot about wisdom, which is the right application of knowledge in our life. So some of us have a lot of knowledge. We can learn a lot of things. We can get these fat heads full of stuff, full of truth, full of truthful words, and then live our lives as if those words have no effect on us, on our actions, on our hands. So they exist in our mind, but then the way we live, you would never know it. So we have a lot of knowledge, but we don't have a lot of wisdom, which is the way to live out and to apply that knowledge. In Proverbs 1, Proverbs is a book, it's considered wisdom literature, and it tells us a lot about wisdom. In verse 20, this is what it says. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So the writer of Proverbs presents wisdom as this voice that is calling to us. And saying, literally, if you turn, if you change, if you alter your course of life and living at my words, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So wisdom is something that is constantly calling out to the wise. And James mimics this call when we go to verse 13 in verse 3, which says this. James asks the question. He begins by asking you a question. He was writing to churches and he poses this question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So the call of the wise right now, right at the beginning, before we dive into anything else, James says the call of the wise is to practice good conduct that is then marked by a meek or a humble character. Now, meekness is kind of a word that we don't use a lot, but it's a word that some of us actually wrongly define because it's not a word that we use a lot in our, own, in, our, in our vernacular these days. But a lot of us would think of weakness as maybe weakness or maybe indecisiveness or maybe a little bit of timidity or kind of a cowardly spirit, but it's just the opposite in the way that scripture presents it to us. Meekness is how scripture describes the very character of Jesus, who tells us in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, that he said this about himself. He said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. So Jesus literally describes himself as somebody who is meek. 
And in fact, even Moses was described in the book of Numbers as a meek person. In fact, it says this about him. It says he was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. earth. So like Moses, like, I don't know, he won some kind of a like most humble guy in the world, like award from God, like in those days. Imagine being the most humble person on the face of the earth. The problem is the minute you know that, you're not it anymore, right? But it says this about Moses. When Moses got sent from Egypt out into exile um, because his life was being threatened, he was there for 40 years. God prepared him for 40 years to lead his people. And he became, in that moment, the most meek person on the face of the earth. So for us who are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 1.30, our indication that we're living lives of wisdom will be that we're gentle and that we're lowly toward others the way Jesus is towards us. In other words, you'll know a wise person when you know a humble person, which means they can't exist apart from each other. Like nobody sees an arrogant person and says, I know they seem prideful, but they're actually like super humble. Humility is the baseline of all who seek to live lives that please God and serve others well. Humility and arrogance, we're going to see, the two things don't mix. You can't be an arrogant person, but in actuality, you're really a humble person. That's the call of James and Jesus here in verse 13. And then we see two kinds of wisdom described uh, in the following verses that we're going to get to that give us clarity in the kind of wisdom we need to pursue along with some knowledge about the kind of wisdom that's being produced in us. So there's a kind of wisdom we need to pursue that we need to get clarity on, but we also need to have knowledge about the kind of wisdom that's being produced in us. And the first of these two kinds of wisdom is what James calls the wisdom from Below, Look what it says in verse 14, picking up in James 3. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It's so weird when I read that, everybody got quiet. Man, there's so much weight that comes down on that. This is a really weighty section of James for us because immediately it kind of calls to question the kind of wisdom that we have been living out in our own lives. So we're going to look at just a a couple of the distinguishing marks here that James gives us of the wisdom that comes from from below. And the first one that we see when we look down at 14, verse 14, is that it's deceptive in nature. James tells us that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are at the heart of those who pursue a path that is ultimately disorderly and vile in nature. So even those two words tell us that there is a deceptive and a counterfeit wisdom at work wherever humility is absent. So wherever there is a vacuum of humility, we're going to see something, re- something in the gap. 
He says what we're going to see is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. In fact, when we get to chapter four, James says that it's our passions that are at war within us that cause jealousy and selfish ambition. He says you covet what's not yours, so you fight and quarrel. He says you only ask for things to spend on your own passions. James is saying if this is what exists in your heart, don't deceive yourself. He said, don't deceive yourself into thinking you're living a wise and a humble life. So James is calling for self-examination here. He's saying, don't boast. Don't be false to the truth if this is what is actually stirring inside of you. And so what's insidious about this, what's hard for us as we're reading this and trying to receive this and trying to do some self-examination is that the wisdom from below is deceptive in nature, meaning it's going to be hard for us to see this unless we do some thorough self-examination, right? These two words are also political in nature. In fact, Paul uses the same word in Philippians 1.17 when he describes jealousy and selfish ambition as jealous and selfish brothers who, quote, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, the apostle Paul says. So what rose up because of these brothers were factions and divisions in the church. And so James is warning us of how the wrong kind of wisdom is deceptive in nature and to not fool ourselves into thinking otherwise if we look beneath the surface of our hearts and see that kind of jealousy and see that kind of ambition that is lying at the root in the heart of it. Because he says, secondly, it has its roots in the earthly, unspiritual, and demonic realm. Here, when we look into 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So when we go back to Genesis chapter 3, where we read about the fall, the fall of mankind, what we see is how Satan used those two things to draw Adam and Eve in. He used jealousy and selfish ambition to tempt Adam and Eve. Remember what he said? He said, he said guys, God knows that when you eat of the fruit that has been forbidden to you to eat, he says, you, he knows that you'll be like him. And essentially what Satan was saying is, and you want to be like him, right? He was teasing that out of them. There's that jealousy there, which is wanting something that is not yours and that is not yours to have. He also said, hey, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. And so right there is that ambition to be something, to become something that God hasn't given you to be or become. So the wisdom from below here that James is describing, man, it's old school. There's nothing new about it. It's old school in that it finds its origins in the way Satan orchestrated the fall of mankind through Adam and Eve. Man, if only, I mean, this is the if only of all if onlys, right? If only Adam and Eve would have used the gentle and lowly, the meek wisdom of God that they had in that moment. Do you guys get what I'm saying here? If, if only they would have remembered 
the love, goodness, the grace, the mercy, the faithfulness of God and run to him with all that was in them in that moment. Instead, they made an earthly and an unspiritual choice in that moment that led to the disorder of the entire universe because of their sin. But godly wisdom, on the other hand, is spiritual in nature in that it prioritizes those fruits that come from the very character of God's spirit. It's not a a pseudo wisdom. It's not a faux wisdom that the world operates out of. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him. By natural person means someone who hasn't yet been changed or heart hasn't been given over and saved by Christ. They are folly to him, he says, and he is not able to understand them because why? They are spiritually discerned. So for us to understand even what wisdom from below and above is and the two distinction between those two things, we have to have the spirit of God living inside of us to even have the wisdom to discern the wisdom between the two. Because the wisdom from below has its roots in the earthly, the unspiritual, and the demonic realm. And then James then says, which is our our third point, that its outcome will be disorder and every vile practice. Man, you just got to love the words that James uses here. He just doesn't try to candy coat anything. You know, he says, look, this is the outcome. The outcome will be disorder. Everything scrambled up, right? It'll look like your kid's bedroom, right? It's just, it's everything all over. Nothing is in its place. You walk in and you're just, you're, you're just literally flooded with the chaos of the disorderliness. And every vile practice. And that's because the practices of our hands will always follow the posture of our heart right? So let's think about this for just a minute together. Whenever we see any union or institution or organization or relationship where jealousy and selfish ambition go unchecked, where they go unbridled, or where they go unrepented of, man, there is no shortage of disorderly conduct. There is no shortage of corrupt practices, right? We can all probably like go and Google, you know, sort of the downfall of like institutions and companies and churches and organizations that when you looked at them, at the heart of them was a particular kind of ambition and jealousy that rooted in the downfall of the company, which came as the result of just all kinds of disorder and vile practices, right? Look, when we become people who only pursue personal gain. The wisdom we'll employ to accomplish those gains will come out in the form of disorder, will come out in the form eventually of vile practices at the expense of people and God. In other words, when you make decisions, when I make decisions based on a heart that is bitter with jealousy, and you selfishly pursue your own ambition at the expense of all that is good and right and noble and pure, integrity is lost. And everything becomes crooked and misshapen 
as the result. You see this happen, like we said a minute ago, in businesses all the time, right? You see this happen when parents pass on and the lawyer comes in to read the will to the children. You see this happen in churches when people and pastors are jockeying for power. You see jealousy and ambition literally tear at the fabric of what is supposed to be love and unity and self-sacrifice and humility and care. I mean, you just don't even have to look far to see it. And I would venture to say that all of us have had the experience of it in, in some unique way, right? But then some would say this, but what about my rights, Ronnie? Don't I have rights? Don't I have rights? Doesn't it come down to my rights sometimes? Not if you want to show your works in the meekness of wisdom. Not if you want your heart to be formed by the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. See, it's so countercultural for us as Americans to think that the call for us is not to stand up for our rights, but to lay down our rights. I'm going to get an amen from a couple of you, and then the rest of you are going to really struggle with that. Because I just stepped on something there. But we're not called to be Americans. Uh-oh. We're not called to stand up for our rights. We are a different people group. That's not an anti-American statement. That's a pro-gospel statement. We're here to lay down our rights because all through scripture, the example of godly men and no more godlier men than Jesus was to lay down their rights so that the wisdom from above instead of the wisdom from below is marinating in the culture and in the community that God has given us as a church to cultivate. Does that make sense? None of y'all should have any problem with anything I just said in the last minute and a half. We don't stand up for our rights, we lay down our rights. And what a beautiful thing it is when the church gets that. And you know what, I've seen this church get that. So that's not a big rebuke. It's somewhat of a rebuke. It's a partial rebuke. But I've seen you lay down your rights. I've, I've benefited from you laying down your rights. I've experienced the opposite of disorder and vile practices at this church. I've experienced the opposite of bitter jealousy and ambition. And it's an amazing thing and it sticks out like you wouldn't believe. It's so counter. It's so beautiful. So what's concerning is how many of us may be operating with a wisdom from below without realizing it. Some of you might think, I have biblical knowledge. Praise God. I've been in church for years. Again, praise God. I've attended Bible studies. I've read books. I've studied God's word. I've searched the internet. I'm able to break down everything you say on a Sunday, Ronnie, and even disagree with some of it. That's fantastic. Except none of it indicates that you have even one iota of wisdom, according to James. If the gentleness 
and the meekness of Jesus doesn't shape the conduct of your life, if it doesn't shape the conduct of my life, then we are operating from a position of jealousy and selfish ambition that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic in origin and will eventually manifest itself in disorder and vile practices. But here's the good news, is that it doesn't have to be if you're in Christ, who is the wisdom of God and can be the one who most deeply forms your character into one that is pleasing to God, that is beautiful to the world, and incredibly inviting to your brothers and sisters. James is calling us here to self-examination, to take a closer look at what might really be going on beneath the surface so that our conduct can be gentle like Jesus, whose life is the definition of true humility for us. So here's three things when we talk about self-examination, all right? The first one is this, is that we need to take a close look at the distractions of our mind. Take a close look at the distractions of your mind. What grabs your attention? What is tempting for you? What causes that second glance of both the eyes of your mind and the eyes of your heart? What is most disappointing to you? And why is that? Distractions, they're just that. They take your eye off the prize, which Paul calls the upward call of God in Christ Jesus in Philippians 3.14. He says, this is the goal I press on toward. The wisdom from below that we've had described here today, it threatens that upward call. It threatens that upward call by distracting you with downward prizes, which can be just a variety of distractions. So take a close look at the distractions of your mind, what grabs your attention, what is disappointing to you, what is tempting to you, what leads your mind downward instead of upward. Secondly, take a close look at the motivations of your heart. Why do you do what you do? Have you ever asked that? Why do you do? Why do I do the things I do? Wisdom is found in asking why. Not only asking why, but it's found somewhat in asking why. It's also the, also the place where integrity resides. So these are the kind of questions that we're afraid to ask that we need to ask. If we want a wisdom from above instead of below. Why do I want to make more money? Did you ever ask that? Because making more money is not a bad thing. But the motivation behind it might be incredibly unspiritual. Why do I want to make more money? Why do I want that new truck? There's nothing wrong with a new truck, but why do you want that new truck? Why do I want a different job? Why do I want to find another church? Why do I want to retire 20 years before my time? See, sometimes we, we, we have these things or these goals that form into questions that we never ask. We never want to call our motivations of our heart to task. Why am I drawn to the things I'm drawn to? Why am I drawn to the friends, to those friends instead of those friends? If we aren't constantly checking our motivations, which by the way happens best within trusted church community, then our wisdom will become shaped by potentially misshapen motivations. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, let me say it like this. If greed 
goes unchecked and unrepented of, then we employ wisdom from below to do whatever it takes to accumulate more. So if you never ask why it is that you want to make more money, it could be that you just increase a motivation in your heart that comes more out of greed than generosity to others. If you never ask why, if you never take a close look at the motivations of your heart, We need to check those things so that jealousy, selfish ambition can be detected. Because here's the sobering reality. When those things aren't detected, we're going to be deceived by them. So detect them in order to not be deceived by them. Why do you do what it is you do? Is it to glorify God? Is it to extend the heart of Jesus to others and use your gifts and talents to serve the church? All those things we talked about, you can do all those things in the position God has placed you in with the money God has given you, with the interest God has given you, and the personality has formed inside of you. All those things have a redemptive quality to them. But what happens is the wisdom from below takes those good things God has blessed us with and it twists them into God-like things in order to serve and satisfy our personal passions. Does that make sense? So we want to take a close look at the distractions of our mind. We want to take a close look at the motivations of our hearts. We want to ask those why questions. And then finally, we want to take a close look at the fruit of our life. Take a close look at the fruit of your life. What do you see your life resulting in? Is a greater longing and affection for Jesus growing in you? And by the way, when we say growth, we mean something that is sometimes very subtle. Most of the time, very slow. Most of the time, it's undetectable until we get markers that it's grown. Is a deeper love for your brothers and sisters becoming more characteristic of you? Are you becoming more stingy and less generous with your time and your talents and your treasure? In other words, when someone looks at your life, what would be immediately obvious to them? What do they see? What is the fruit of your life? Because the wisdom from below, according to James, as much as we like to believe it is, oh man, it's not subtle. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, and vile practices. I don't know. They make movies about that stuff that we like to watch. Why? Because it's not like a Rubik's cube that we got to try to twist and figure out. Like it's blatant, like it's in our face. We see those things and people can see those things in you and in me. It eventually shows itself in disorder and practices that are vile in nature. Paul tells us though in Galatians 5, this is what he says. Listen to this encouragement that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things, there is no law. See, there is something more powerful, more potent. There's a more powerful and potent fruit that comes from the wisdom that comes from above than even the wisdom from below. See, we see disorder and we see vile practices and we see selfish ambition and bitter jealousy and we think, oh my gosh, but there is something actually more powerful than those on the flip 
And it's what Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5, which is the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to learn more about this next week. So this is a bit of a setup for next week, which is going to be all about the wisdom from above. But when these fruits become more characteristic of our life over time, it means, you ready for this? That we are a community of people living out a wisdom that is gentle like Jesus. Substance should be a gentle and lowly church. It should be a meek church. It should not be a church that is so sure of itself. So today, the call is this. Who is wise and understanding among us? We can answer that call today. Let's answer that call today. Let's do it with honesty. Let's do it with humility. And let's do it with the good hope that Jesus is drawing us away from selfish passions and into more passionate communion with him and his wisdom that is calling from the streets and is available to all who go before Christ and say, yes, I want more of you and I want more of that wisdom that you give me that will shape me into being a reflection of you. And that is the space where joy is experienced and joy is lived out. And we benefit from that joy that is experienced and lived out and it's just oozing all over the place. I know, horrible word. Here it's substance. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Let's pray that God would help us do that right now. Oh Lord, we thank you for these sobering words from James. And we pray, God, that you would continue to just give us the light of your wisdom, this wisdom from above, this gentle and lowly and meek wisdom, God. We can't generate it in and of ourselves, but we have the spirit of God living inside of us. So it exists. And Lord, we need you to draw it out of us. And Lord, you do that in such a variety of ways, but I pray that all of us would have uh, ears to hear, these words that were spoken this morning and that if we need to do any kind of internal heart work and repentance and confession before you today, that that would happen. Lord, that we would see ourselves as being conduits of your wisdom. And so Lord, guard us against this wisdom from below that can so easily seep itself into our hearts in this church. Um, Lord, help us to be on guard against bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, Help us to see uh, some of the fruit of that when we see disorder, when we see vile practices, Lord. Help us to be um, wise in those moments, in those seasons, in those times to detect that, Lord, to repent of it, to remove it. Um, God, we thank you that you've given us the privilege and the honor of laying down our rights the way you did for the benefit and the good of others. And Lord, I thank you that we have a church that does that in a variety of ways. I pray that that would increase. And God, you would give us much grace as we leave here today um, pondering and thinking and reflecting on these words, Lord, um, that you would give us life and joy um, in that, Lord, these, this is a wisdom that you are accomplishing in us today, right now. Um, and it's a slow wisdom, just like all growth is. And we thank you, Lord, that the slowness doesn't indicate that it's not happening or it's not true. So we need to trust you. We need to be patient. 
And we need to uh, continue to gather close to one another so that we can benefit from that wisdom, which is a shared wisdom. It comes through community. It comes from the insights and uh, the hearts of others, Lord, to shape our hearts. So I pray that we would press into those things in the way that we can right now in these times. Um, And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to do that. Um, So Lord, continue to walk with us. Be our wisdom, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.